We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? Ew, seriously. They squeeze the grease out of the wool and process it with chemicals, and then you eat it. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I got rid of products I didn't want anywhere near my body. I found that many multivitamins contain high amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and even lacked some of the nutrients we actually needed. So what did I do? At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. Ritual's products are made traceable, meaning we share the science and sourcing for every single ingredient. For example, our vegan vitamin D3 comes from sustainably harvested lichen in Nottingham, England, not sheep. We trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. See for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 323. Early morning for me and Scott. It is 6.30 Thursday morning, but you know what? It's a lot easier to get up and record after the Yankees sweep the Red Sox. What's up, Scott? You're goddamn right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, this was, this was like a shot of adrenaline that we needed, that the Yankees needed, that this fan base needed, and it doesn't even matter what the records were going into this 
entire series because we knew the Red Sox were struggling. Yankees were struggling. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because when you see the opponent in front of you and you win both of those games, that's it, man. That's all you got to do. And uh, it felt good. The pitching you could see was was much improved. Even Jay Happ started off crappy and you know settled down. So it was good. It was good to see this Mike freaking Talkman. It's good to see this stuff. We were just everyone. Everyone who follows the Yankees was just searching for something to grab onto and say, okay, this is going to be the thing that sets us off this year because the Yankees still have something to prove. Listen, the Red Sox look like dog shit right now. But they kind of have an excuse. They won the World Series. Not that I would let that pass if I was a fan. I mean, of that's that not team. an excuse. Yeah, but but they still won the World Series last year, and they're clearly going through some sort of World Series hangover. They didn't even really have a, a, a real spring training. Their players didn't play until the very end, so maybe they totally botched that whole thing. That's neither here nor there. The fact is, the Yankees need have something to prove this year. Despite all the injuries, they still expect to win the World Series this year. So we were just looking for something to grab onto, right? What's going to turn this season around? Hopefully, it's waking up against your rival. Look, as soon as you see, I mean, if, if we're all looking at the Red Sox not coming in trying, you know, they were still built to win the World Series. That's how they, that's how they thought. You know, I think that they over, overshot some things, but that's, that's fine. That's good. Um, you see what happened on the last game, you know, Pedroyo going back out his another a knee injury. I don't know what what happened with it, but he left the game. I uh, one of those one of those things where you're seeing him him run off and and wouldn't be surprised if you never see him again. Um, kind of one of those things where it's like the last straw of, of that guy coming out. So maybe, yeah, you know, that whole thing, a sweep Pedroyo going back out. Little, little uh, beginning of the end for the Boston Red Sox. And for everyone saying, hey, it's only a two game sweep. Shut up. It's still a sweep. Still asleep. It is what it is. <laughs> uh, we're feeling good. Um, like I said, just looking for something to uh, to take some positivity, and hopefully they can finish this homestand strong against the Crummy Royals. A couple of housekeeping items first, though. In case you guys missed it, Wednesday's episode of George's Box went up. That was episode number five. Um, JJ and Keith talked about uh, a bunch of different things. Uh, Keith, if he survived Coachella, if JJ's worried yet about um the yankees or if he's worried about me kicking his ass go check it out on their own feed also coming up on monday show we want you guys to submit mailbag questions that is when we always do mailbags uh we want to make monday very interactive with the fans because we also do voicemails i know your phone last night after the gardner grand slam was blowing up scott buzzing it was buzzing for a long time (laughs) yes I was like, uh, I'm going to need you to post the video because my phone will not stop ringing because I it literally it just kept, it was just, the, the, it was, it was, uh, it was good. So I think we have, you know, probably over, over 10 voicemails, maybe, maybe even 15 from last night. That's beautiful. Yeah. That moment from Gardner, it's like, he's done that each of the last three years, right? Where it's just a home run that out of nowhere, you never expected it to be from Gardner with the one, the go ahead one at Wrigley Field a couple years yep. ago. Do you remember the home run off DeGrom? At City yep. Field last year, I mean Degrom yep. was the best pitcher on on planet Earth last year, and, and Gardner Gardner uh, takes him out to right field, and then last night, look, I mean Gardner has a flair for the dramatic. There's no doubt about it, and you know a lot of people are looking at him as the uh, the the guy that nobody wants to see at the top of the order. So he gets moved around. I still and, don't want know, to see him at the top of the order. <laughs> I, I, I still love I, the the power is great. Seeing that seeing that flash because because he can flash that power if he gets around on that fastball. 
uh, with anything in you know a shorter right field, he either just gets it up in the air like a la Johnny Damon, or he hits that you know little little missile over the wall. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing, it's man. Those, the guy's uh, clutch. It's those forearms. He's country strong. Yeah, he yeah, and clutch. He's I mean, there's no doubt. Like the 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 moment does not get too big for Brett Gardner, and that's something I will you know I will never take away from that guy. If there's a big moment, I got no problem with Gardy being up. And if you guys do want to call that voicemail line, it's 646-480-0342. It's also in the At Yankees podcast Twitter bio, so you can always check it out there. Uh, we do appreciate it if you guys rate and review the podcast. Also, rate and review George's Box. It helps out the podcast, both of them, immensely. Uh, we, we ask for it quite often, but uh, it's because it's very important. And last night, I think what we, fo- what we found out, Scott, is that the BP chapter watch parties... Those bring the luck to the Yankees because we had a bunch of them going off this week. Philly, Baltimore, D.C. chapter, Salt Lake City, Minneapolis, and Austin all had watch parties this week, and the Yankees are 2-0. I mean, there's, there's not really else to, much else to say about it because these guys all got together in their, in their uh, you know, respective city and came together as Yankee fans, which, one, I love. I mean, I love seeing this, this whole chapter initiative that we've taken on is, is really a, uh, you know, just getting Yankee fans together to watch games, to, to meet more people that are, you know, like-minded in, in the baseball, because let's, let's face it, the majority of us during baseball season are consumed. Like this is us. So when you're out away from New York, you're looking for something to attach. You're looking for someone to, you know, share that, that pride and that passion with. And that's what the the beauty of these things are. So, um, yeah, awesome to see these guys get together. We're going to be, there's going to be more popping up. Um, we are just, we're, we're, we're getting to the, uh, uh, like an actual announcement, but I'll, I'll tease it a little bit. We're doing our first stadium takeover, organized stadium takeover in July in, um, in a, in a, in a place where the, the word devil uh, is and and we're going to we have probably 150 tickets reserved at an, at an opposing stadium and we're rallying the troops right now so there will be a formal announcement hopefully uh later today or sometime this weekend but i'm excited for that we're taking this thing to the next level so if you're in another city and you haven't seen any uh your chapter pop up come go to facebook uh, search bp crew and get in there because that's where everybody is starting to organize in that facebook group i'm doing the eyeballs emoji with my face right now in anticipation of the of the announcement um Beautiful. it's funny you said that it, we're all like-minded yankee fans and during the season we're all consumed Le- leanne the other day said to me um because this past winter we went through the entire six seasons of the americans i don't know if you ever saw that show but we we just binged the entire thing we loved it and she's like oh i wish we could find another show for uh like we did the americans and she's like well i guess we'll have to wait until the winter because you're not watching anything for the next six months other than baseball i was like yeah sorry well no this is what you need to do leanne um, we, we got something you can binge every night, every single night. And it's got more drama than any show you'll ever see on TV. <laughs> the New York Yankees. Let's go. Yeah, she, she binges it. Uh, she binges it through me. She's just, yeah. she sits next to me, watches through while I'm, you know, on the edge of my seat, but there you go. Um, also, uh, we had, uh, so last week, I don't know if you guys remember, we, we brought on Conrad to talk about Masahiro Tanaka break down his season so far and we actually kind of jinxed him because then he went out there and laid a turd well this week we brought on Rohan Arcot to break down what is going on with Chad Green he has been struggling so I'm hoping you know that we reverse jinx Chad Green and he steps up now 
Yeah, we haven't had an opportunity to uh, to jinx him yet because this re- you guys recorded a couple nights ago. So we've had good things happen since you recorded. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it's another good, another one of these uh, you know short segments we're going to be doing with uh, the writers from Bronx Pinstripes. And um, yeah, I'm excited for it. It'll be later on in this episode. But all right, the Yankees are almost back at 500. That's a, that's a milestone that they have to get to first. And then the baby steps from there. Joe Torre always used to say, get to 500, then you get... Uh, you know, the next five games over 500, then the next five games over there. You can't just look to when are we going to get to that 100-game uh, milestone. But they got to get there first. And yes, they're below 500, but their run differential is plus 20. So what's well, sort of like why it's been a frustrating season, because they've been in position to win a lot of games. They just haven't come through in a lot of situations. Yeah, no, it's been an, it's been a case of you know something goes bad on a, on a given night and the other thing goes well, or, you know, and and you can't take advantage of the thing that does go well. So that's the uh, you know when you're looking at the at the Yankees and and what they're good at at scoring runs, like everybody knows that even with all of these guys injured, they're still scoring runs. I mean, for for the most part, they're still scoring runs. You have the the games where you get flashed out and and nothing happens, but you know that's just what we are uh, these days. Scott. Although although we have been getting the base hit a lot yeah. more frequently recently and I'm loving that loving that too and but it, I think it's interesting to look at the two teams because the Red Sox and the Yankees came into this series struggling the Red Sox now have a 6 and 13 record but they have the worst run differential in the American League and I believe the second worst in all of baseball only behind the Marlins who don't have any major leaguers on their team so the Red Sox hey, Starling Castro is a major leaguer oh, I forgot about back him. off he he's uh he him and Derek Jeter if he suited up he would be the second best player in the Marlins right now, yeah, and Don that's... Mattingly would be third if he suited up. <laughs> but uh, but I think you know looking at the run differential is appropriate at this point in the season. But when when is it okay to start looking at the standings? Well, right now it's it's you uh, start it's looking good. at the standings right now. Yeah, because we we flew past the um, the Red Sox, so I'm looking at the standings. Well, the Yankees now. vaulted up to second place. They're still behind the Rays, but the Rays just lost their uh, crackhead looking ace because he dropped something on his big toe. And uh, but the the Rays are are still having a good season, so they're the only team over 500 in the in the division. No, I mean looking, at, I don't think you you really need to look at the standings for for quite some time. But the you want to see the momentum start going, and you want to see your team playing well. Obviously, I mean, I do think Tampa's going to come back to the to the pack a little bit. I, but at the same time, man, like like, I mean, everybody knows who listens to the show. Last year, I had them as dead and and a worthless team, probably because I didn't know anybody, and nobody did on that team. The majority of the the players were all, you know, young new kids that were that were coming up, and they, you know, far exceeded. Well, they got they got better. Uh, those those same players got better. They got older. They they have some experience, and the way that Kevin Cash is managing that team, like they actually have starting pitching now too. So they're not bullpenning as much as they needed to last year because they actually have, you know, some some starting pitching that's that's working out well for them. And you know, and that that just kind of goes to the theory that bullpenning is really just a necessity of a, a product of your situation rather than a strategy coming in and doing that because you want to do that. No, nobody really wants to do that. It's a it's a nerve wracking way to to play baseball to go about baseball. Nobody wants to do that. They do that be, because of necessity. And I think we're seeing now, like, yeah, there's it's still a thing, but you know, Tampa now ha- adding a couple more starters. Uh, you know, this year for the full year with the Archer trade last year, and then also um, going out and, and getting some some pitching in the free agent market. Like you're seeing that they're 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 trying to, you know, come back to earth with like with a like a real team. 
But I agree with you that the Rays are not going to, they're, 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 they're not legit. disappearing. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, they're not going to steamroll the division and win 105 games like the, or 108 games like the Red Sox did last year, but they're still going to be, I think, contending for the playoffs. I think the Yankees are going to be contending for the playoffs. And despite the Red Sox crappy start, I think they're going to contend for the playoffs too. So the, I think that those three teams, you know, the, the cream rises to the top. I think those three teams will find their way to the top of the division eventually. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think um, I'm, I'm I'm definitely not counting the Red Sox out. It's just it's just fun at some point when you look down and you see them there after after a sweep. So that's that's really I the mean, only but reason it's, I want to look at the standings. So one of my favorite things to do after Red Sox losses, especially after the Yankees win over the Red Sox, is to listen to Boston sports radio. So I, I did that yesterday afternoon. And man, are they just de- demolishing the Red Sox? There's so many things going wrong with the team right now. They were blasting them for how they handled spring training, the worst run differential, World Series hangover, what the hell is wrong with Chris Sale, um, a whole bunch of stuff. It's like the, I think it's the worst Red Sox pitching start. I think they have the worst team ERA in their history, which is like amazing considering like how bad some of those teams were uh, in in their hundred plus year history. So. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to just watch, watch them suffer a little bit. Yeah, anytime I can see them down, uh, I'm, I'm there for that. It's kind of, what does it say about us as people that we enjoy, we, we enjoy? Yes, we enjoy the Yankees winning, but when our, when our enemy is suffering, it just makes it that much better. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. That's very normal. That's just sports, right? It's just very normal behavior. Yeah. You know? as, uh, as, as Yankee fans, we want to see the other person uh, suffer, so I, there's no problem with that. I got no problem with that. I feel good about it, actually. I think the most impressive thing we saw this week, and we haven't even talked about it yet, is James Paxton. And we talked about on last episode how he was tipping his curveball, how he said to the media, you know, maybe I'm putting too much pressure on myself. It's a new city, a new team. I got I to gotta step up. And holy shit, did he step up, set the tone on Tuesday, eight innings, 12 strikeouts. That was an ace-like performance. That was the James Paxton that Brian Cashman traded for. I was extremely impressed with... Paxton looked like he realized the moment. Like, I need... With yeah. This team needs something. I'm going to be that guy that goes out there and sets the tone. You could tell in his... You could tell in his body language that, that he knew this was, you know, the most important start of his career. And, and the fact that this team needed this, the fan base needed this, he knew... I'm, see, I'm getting goosebumps talking about this because it's... It's one of those things when you see a guy coming into town who wants to do well for for the fan base. And, you know, there's been so many comparisons um, this week on on social media when people are looking at the two situations of Sonny Gray and Paxton both getting traded, coming over, big big expectations for, for what's going to happen. And the huge difference, the, the massive, gigantic, <laughs> Grand Canyon difference between the two players and the two situations is that James Paxton is a man. James Paxton has some some pride, some some uh, you know, some accountability. Some he, he wants he actually wants to do well in front of the people that pay to see him. The people that have expectations for him, he knows that, he wants it, and he delivers. And he needs to you can just tell that like he's a guy that has a lot of pride. And I absolutely love it. I love the fact that he came out, made his adjustments, did what he needed to do, went back and watched tape, not Peaky Blinders, watched tape, and went and talked to Carlos Beltran. This, I mean, like, this is, this is what people, this is what a professional athlete does when he comes into town and has some struggles, 
knowing it's New York, knowing that people are going to say the moment's too big for him, New York's too big for him. No, 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 no. He just needed to get his feet underneath him, and that's what happened. And we saw a dominant performance against a lot of right-handed bats, too. Yeah, right. Like, like you said, he, he watched tape of what he was doing wrong instead of just clearing his mind and watching Netflix. Uh, yeah, right. there was a good article on The Athletic about um, Paxton said, you know, I, I found out from Beltran about the tipping the pitch and, and addressed that. But what he also noticed in watching old video footage against starts against the Red Sox is that he was doing something slightly different in his delivery. Mm-hmm. So he tried to get back to that delivery in that start. So this is someone who we've seen taking ownership of things he's doing wrong. He could have very easily just gone out there and said, you know, I'll figure it out eventually. I'm going to trust the process and I'm going to continue to to do my thing. And that's not what he decided to do. So love it. Absolutely love it. It's called accountability. That's what it is. If you, if you see something that's not going well or you know something that's just flat out wrong, you take ownership of what's happening and then you fix it yourself. You can look to other people. You know, depending on uh, on where your head is and and how um, you know how big your ego is, if you can look around and take a, take advice or take you know some some uh, some hints or tips from other people, you know, more power to you because that's how we grow and that's how he grows and that's that's the beautiful thing. And I think it goes back. I think I was spot on with my uh, with my analysis of the of the Canadian attitude. I actually had some people uh, tweeting at me saying that I was right in the ballpark about you know it doesn't matter what it is you just go on with your day and you you push forward um and and you say you're sorry when when you do something wrong but you go forward and you and you have a a, a strong work ethic and that's just that's just kind of their their mentality so see, i don't know and, if and that's, that's what i necessarily see necessarily canadian or if that's just you grew up in a cold environment because i think I mean, people I, in the northeast are like that. there's too. an edge no, no i agree with that there's definitely some uh, as you as you go further north i feel like you you see that that edge um, on, on certain people, but, right? It's zero you know, degrees outside, but it doesn't matter. It's a Wednesday. You got to go to work, man. Just deal with it, right? Yeah, but that, like, it's good to see early on that he's tested and and he completely passes the test. And you know, he didn't have to go out and throw eight innings uh, of shutout ball to to pass that test. He needed to to acknowledge, uh, make strides, and and you know see that that this guy is is trying to fix his stuff and see the you know semblance of the guy that we thought we were getting and not only he did he do that but he went out and threw you know an absolute gem so it was beautiful i was surprised that boone sent him out for the eighth inning because he was already at close to 100 pitches and it was a blowout game if it's a two nothing game send him back out there he's dominating the, the lineup he was basically just dominating the red sox lineup with fastballs well i'm going to talk about his pitch breakdown in a minute but weren't you a little surprised they sent him out for the eighth inning, knowing how this coaching staff and this analytics department operates? Yeah, that's the thing. Like you look at you look at all the numbers and and you see the situation for the game, and they're probably like, yeah, you know, um, the all the nerds in the tunnel were like, take him out, take him out, take him out, and, and Boone's like, just just shut up, send a gopher back there to sweep the nerds, sweep the uh, sweep the tunnel. Some, no nerds are give him a tonight. swirly back there. I'm sending <laughs> Paxton back out for the eighth. There's yeah, there's nothing gonna stop me. And he sent him out for the eighth because he used his eyeballs. He felt the crowd. He knew the situation was big, and obviously the guy wanted it. So you know, Paxi, you feel good. You got the eighth. Got it, Skip. Boom. Well, he had struck out six batters into the. So I think the first or through the first or second out of the eighth inning, he he was in an eight strike or excuse me, six strikeout streak. So he was dominating still in the late innings through 110 pitches, 70 fastballs. At 97 and a half miles an hour. That is nutting up, man to man, here it is, I dare you to hit it kind of stuff. 
Yeah, it's also establishing yourself off of off of your best pitch. You know, when you when you can go out there and you can locate because he was locating, and he can you know get that. He talked about the some of the mechanics things about moving momentum, like he basically driving down towards the plate. Uh, that was one of the things that he had noticed on on his film. And when you watch that, and then you're 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 feeling good, your body's executing the way you want it to do, um, and everything com- the ball coming out of your hand feels like it it should. Then you, you you keep going with that pitch because if your fastball is if you're able to locate your fastball uh, with the way that James Paxton throws and has just natural movement uh, and throws you know 97 to 199 miles an hour or whatever it is like that's a very difficult pitch to hit and when you have other pitches that you can set up with your fastball it makes it that much better so you know I think this is one guy that we're not going to see get changed too much because he works so significantly well uh, off of that fastball. He was essentially fastball, slider, or cutter, depending. So, uh, Brooks Baseball, I looked at Brooks Baseball, and they categorized his, he threw 25 sliders at about 90 miles an hour. But the during the broadcast, they were talking about, that was Paxton's cutter. And I think StatCast also categorized a lot of those pitches as cutters. Whatever it is, it's a 90 mile an hour unhittable pitch, because it has a lot of movement, and it's hard. So, just great. He was basically fastball, slider, slash cutter. Only six curveballs. And I think this is interesting because that was the pitch he was tipping. His curveball is a pitch that he will need more of in other games. He didn't need it on Tuesday, but he only threw six of them. Now, do you think that's because he just didn't need it? Or maybe he was also a little fr- afraid of tipping it? I don't think there was a fear of tipping it. I feel like once he identified it and... And he can move forward from there. But when you when you're throwing your fastball as well as you as you as he was, and you know that's that's your your setup pitch, that's your main pitch. Then you don't need the curveball as much, especially when you have that that slider. And it it's still hard. But 97, there's a you know that's a significant difference when you're talking about even 96, 97, 98, uh, going down to a slider slash cutter, uh, you know, around 90 miles an hour. Like that's a that's a good difference in speed and plenty enough to um, to get guys fooled thinking it's a fastball coming out of your hand. And then, you know, it's it's breaking a bat or, you mm-hmm. know, just, you know, cutting in on your hands or away from you. So it's it. I, I don't think he needed it as much. And uh, I think this is one of those situations where he just really had to show it and, and, and put that in the back of their minds that he can still throw it for a strike and he will show it. But it but it's not going to come uh, all that often because because <laughs> I got my good stuff today. So I agree with you. But if just the difference, I want to shed some light on the difference between a podcast and if this was sports radio and we had to fill like four or five hours, we would do an entire hour on how James Paxson's afraid to throw his curveball. Yeah, but we're not doing that because he's not <laughs> afraid of anything. Anything. He just channeled the 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 eagle coming at his face permanently. He uh, the fourth inning jam was was uh, maybe the biggest moment in the game for him. Yeah. So the Yankees had a lead, but the Red Sox had two on and nobody out, and he he escaped the jam, got a couple of uh, weak fly balls, and then he struck out Moreland, and he was very pumped up on the mound, and you just knew from there pa- this was Paxton's game. So my question to you, it's a very important question. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Can you earn your pinstripes in a regular season win, even if it's against the Red Sox? Um, I mean, yeah, you could do it in a regular season win, but Ooh, I don't know. Uh, if this you is, can earn your pinstripes. I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah, you can. You can definitely do it. I mean, like, there's there's definitely games uh, where I mean, Giambi's rain game, like that one comes to mind. Okay. The the pinstripes um, are earned in big moments. Do I do I think that was this was like a earn your pinstripes type moment? And eh, maybe some people would categorize as that. Well, I, mean, I saw it. I saw it on I, Twitter. 
I need a little deeper into the season. Um, it, it was a turning point. So how about you know, this? Depends I'm not one of those guys happens, that are going right? to sit on it, though. If if we look back in July and say, oh, the Yankees started their run of 700 baseball when Paxton went out there and shoved the bats up the Red Sox ass, then maybe that's an earn your pinstripes moment, right? For whatever reason, and, and maybe this is just completely delusional and stupid, but because it was an 8 nothing game, it takes away from the earn your pinstripes moment a little bit. So if it was one nothing, if the yeah, yeah. Oh, if, if the it Yankees was one nothing, he came out for the eight. If the Yankees didn't finer, finally crush Chris Sale, yeah, yeah, okay. I, I, I love like, that what, logic. <laughs> it's just you know, it's just one of those. It's one of those like do or die feelings, and and uh, for you know, it it was a, an amazing performance, and the man earned a, an an, a, an enormous amount of respect in my opinion, but like the whole earn your pinstripes, like, and I don't really, I don't really like buy into the whole thing, but oh, I think a lot of people do. Oh and yeah, I, they do. You know, <laughs> oh, believe me, yeah, I, I don't necessarily do. think that that one, uh, those pinstripes it was close. It was close. So they're temporary pinstripes on Paxson's Jersey right now. They, they're, they're the stick. They're the stick on peel off kind. Like they haven't been fully painted on yet. Yeah. I, I really thought it was an amazing performance. <laughs> I didn't, Probably would not have categorized it as an earn your pinstripes type of performance. It's kind well, of so, it's kind of what I want him to do. Plus the plus the you know the Red Sox were struggling. Like, but that's the thing. I'm, I'm not a, trying to I'm not trying to downplay this because I am pumped up about this this uh, this this start. It's against the Red Sox and it's a it's a step on the on the opponent throat kind of moment. This this two game series. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe how about this? You can you can earn your pinstripes with a huge regular season performance or a stretch of regular season performances, but you cannot. No, it's not a stretch. But, it's a moment. But it's you cannot moment. have a signature Yankee moment in the regular season. Signature Yankee moment is a walk off or you know a go ahead home run in the playoffs or a, a series clinching performance on the See, mound every, in the playoffs. Everything you're saying has to do with like a, a, a tight a tight spot and like yeah. you know you're the guy that put him over. Tino well, Martinez score, Grand Slam. Runs, Tino Martinez so if, Grand Slam against the Padres in the World Series is a signature Yankee moment. Yeah. No, I, I agree, but I think a lot of people would also say that Tino earned his pinstripes before that, too. Exactly. What, that's exactly what I'm saying. Tino yeah. earned his pinstripes. You earn your pinstripes, I think. I think earning your pinstripes takes a little time. I think I, I agree. Like, it's hard to do it this early. That's another thing. Yeah, it's because because the fact that it's April, it was an eight nothing game against against a against a, a hobbled Red Sox team in which the Yankees shelled Chris Sale. It just took that away. I take nothing away from the performance. I, I do not hear me wrong, people. I take nothing away from this game or the series in the way that the Yankees are moving forward. It was it was a, a big moment. Eh, earn your pitch art moment, I don't know. So this is what I just heard you say, that you weren't that impressed with James Paxson and that he's probably <laughs> still going to be Sonny Gray. Yeah, nothing like that. <laughs> nothing. I... Think we all, you know, so we said the Yankees finally hit Chris Sale, and this dude had like a one and a half ERA coming in against the Yankees, owned the Yankees' bats. He's not the same pitcher right now. I understand it, but it's still good to see them scratch some runs off of him. I think it was four runs in five innings. They knocked him out after five innings, and he was throwing hard. He cranked it up to 96, 97 miles an hour. That was one of the concerning things about Chris Sale is that in his first couple starts, he was in the low 90s. He was throwing hard the other night, and the Yankees still were able to hit him. The rally in the third inning, I absolutely loved. Yeah. Let me just break it down. Gardner leadoff double. Romine sack fly. So Gardner's over to third base. Talkman whiff. LeMayhew, two out, two out RBI single to right field. 
Judge walks, Voight two-out RBI single, and then Glaber strikes out. It's a two-run rally, but they did it with base hits and sack flies and leadoff doubles. Not a home run to be seen in that rally, and I fucking loved it. Yeah, no, that's that's baseball, baby. That's uh, they've been they've been putting that together too, and I think you're adding some some guys in here who could get the base hit. Lemayhew, I mean, Clint Frazier has been phenomenal since he's come up. We see power, but we're also seeing him just make a ton of contact and get those base knocks and get on on on, uh, on the base paths. He's getting confident he, at the plate. He's he is confident at the plate. He is he's very confident right now. He knows. He knows he belongs there. Like you're seeing this. Everybody who's always talking in the off season, you know, with Clint Frazier. I think a lot of people, um, while while I do think he's he's an extremely popular player, and like I said, I, t- I put him in like a top five Yankees uh, uh, as far as popularity. When I'm looking at social media, like he's up there. Um, By the way, but your def- take on that got a lot of controversy on social. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm still I still think it's it's pretty accurate, especially when you're looking at the younger demographic. When you look at that younger demographic, Frazier's up there, mm. and um, yeah, he's putting and, out and, all the Jordan Cleat like stuff. Yeah, on Instagram and, see, and now everything. Cece's on board, like kind of mocking him a little bit with uh, with some Tims with some yeah. with some uh, with some cleats on it. Like that's funny. See, that's JJ. That's, JJ made a comment like one. He's now one of the boys. It's pretty yeah. obvious. But see, that's see, that's. CC the dad just setting you know setting the little kid in his place like hey man don't get ahead of yourself let me let me take you down a peg no no see you're wrong that is not that that is him visibly saying one of the boys it's the same one thing. of the boys I'm gonna mock what do you, you do uh, when you're boys with someone you have the, you have the complete freedom to make fun of them in any yeah, way you exactly want. yeah I know there's a comfort level there that's my point um, the when when you're boys when you're in a tight pack you can do that and you could do that in front of anybody it doesn't matter you'll never get mad at that guy because that's just you expect that's it how you that's how you show love to your one of your boys is you make fun of them right yeah <laughs> um, dads don't do that though <laughs> dads of the dads don't make fun of them dads of the, the he's the dad of the clubhouse the uh, the 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 thing about it is when you're seeing him going there with that confidence you know we all know about the bat speed it's been talked about forever and you know he's making contact uh, at a at a very high rate and that's I love it man and it's good to see he's playing some good defense ever since the uh, the dives which I think were probably just him pushing a little too hard pressing a little too hard we're starting to see that so. Um, it's, it's good because we need it. The Yankees absolutely need bat to ball, get on base, big moments, and Frazier's coming through. They still had the power. Frazier hit a home run in that game. Talkman first career home run in the, his first ever post-game interview. That's how he sounded. Glaber solo shot. Sterling. Talkman the Sockman. I like it. You do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's good. It's it's, it's very Sterling. It's very, very cheesy. It's perfect. It sounds like he sterling. just made it up as the ball was leaving the ballpark. Which is even better because then it came from the beautiful brain on the fly of John Sterling. He didn't overthink it. So he didn't listen to his Italian girlfriend and, you know, try to do something a little fancy. He went basic. He went, let me try to rhyme as close as I possibly can. You, uh, you know, from, from John Sterling's generation, if you hit something hard, you suck it. You know, these, these are beautiful sock things. Talk them, There you go. What so, did you say on Twitter? I liked what you said. You should, uh, we should talk dirty be, to me. Yeah. Talk dirty to me should be this new Sterling call. And it's so poet. Like, he should look at Susan as he's saying it. Oh, talk dirty to me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's uh it's good. And that ball would have hit me right in the hands, by the way, <clears throat> if that was on Saturday, because it literally hit me. Yeah, seat. it was a shot. Yeah. So it hit um, you right in the hands, and would you have caught it? A thousand percent. Even without a glove? Glue. Uh, without a glove. Who brings it? If you're a grown man taking a glove into the stadium, we gotta have we gotta have a talk. Especially now with the nets up. 
uh, yeah. What if you're what if you're in prime home run territory? You catch the ball with your hands. <laughs> you break your hand like a man. You catch the ball with your goddamn hands. Don't bring a glove in unless you're a kid. Um, like a, if you're over 15, don't bring a glove in. The hap start. So it started out really, really sketchy. Two home runs in the first two innings, and here we go again with Jay Hap. You know what I'm thinking is, wow, there's no better way to kill momentum than having your starting pitcher go out there and lay a turd. And that's what it looked like Jay Hap was going to do. But then he sort of reinvented himself mid-game. Yeah, I mean the the biggest thing I, I was I was at the stadium on Friday for his start as well, and you know just seeing stuff in person too, and you're seeing it on TV, the the guy's early struggles from from what I can tell, a lot of it is is command. It's it's not able to locate that fastball. And yes, I I know he doesn't have the same stuff as James Paxton when you're talking about you know 97 with a, a little bit of cut with a little bit of movement on it. But he still can get it up to 94, 95, um, probably lives closer to 92. He's still got a good enough fastball where where he can get people out. And he still has to work off of that fastball. And when you can't locate that fastball and you're trying to work off of something that's not being thrown to the places that you want, well, then, then some of these guys can just sit on it too and wait for that ball to come over the plate because you're not able to locate it. And that's a problem for him. He's got to hit those corners. I mean, we saw the, you know, the other day when when CC on Saturday uh, made that start, Jay Hap went behind the the reporters and mm-hmm. and acted like a fake reporter and was like, "Oh, so CC, you've been gone for six months, however long. What, how are you painting the corners so easily? Right? You know, and, and you could tell that like there was there was a it was a, a loose moment. CC thought it was hilarious. It was pretty funny. And that's the truth, though. Like the guy can't locate the fastball, and when you can't do that with the with the with the type of pitcher that he is, it's an issue. It's funnier when you're pitching well, <laughs> right? When Hap's pitching well, yeah, that's a beautiful moment, like funny Twitter moment. Everyone makes a big thing about it. But when Hap's going out there and sucking, you're like, ah, Hap. Figure it was your a legitimate question. He's, he's like, I know, I know. That's seriously, what I said. CC, that's what I said last no, week. It's, he CC, just wants please. to know. I really want to know. You, I literally am struggling doing this. How did you do it? I, <laughs> Can you write it down, please? But we saw Hap evolve in mid-game, and he started to throw more two-seamers, started to throw more off-speed stuff, moved away from his four-seam fastball, which he got beat on early in the game, and he pitched into the seventh inning. And I thought it was a really positive thing for him, a real big step forward for Hap. He's going to have to use his four-seam fastball. It's been his best pitch his entire career. He's going to need to figure that thing out. But what I'm happy to see is him be able to figure it out on the fly without his four-seam fastball because he wasn't able to do that against the the previous opponents. There's a reason this guy has been in the league for as long as he has. And and one of one of the big reasons is that he's able to adjust and make these, you know, make these slight variations to what he's gonna do on a on a given basis, on a daily basis based on what's working and what's not working. Like he's got the arsenal to do that. He's a, a veteran pitcher who is pitching late into his thirties. He's been around the block. Like this is a guy that I'm not worried about J hat because I'm not seeing anything wrong with like the stuff that he's throwing. It still looks good. He's just having early command issues on. And you know, whether that was a, um, you know, a, a product of, of some of the situations he's been in, because he's definitely been in some tough situations as far as like rain delays. And, and uh, you know, on, on Friday night when he was pitching, it was it was practically raining the entire game. Not that those are excuses, but they are there are things that to consider when you're looking at what he's done this year. Um, I, I'm not concerned about him because I, I just feel like he's the type of guy that that figures it out and, and is a professional and is a perfectionist and will go out and, and do his, um, you know, work at his craft. So 
it doesn't i don't see like age as a thing here like i'm not seeing diminishing velocity diminishing stuff like i still see all that stuff he's just not putting it together so far and for a while it looked like even though hap settled in it wasn't going to be enough because the yankees still couldn't hit Evaldi. it's so annoyed because the dude had a 8.4 era coming into the game and he he pitches six innings of one run ball against the yankees like i just don't understand it how how does it always happen but the yankees with the Gardner home run still won the game so guess i didn't have to come on here this morning and bitch about that for 20 minutes it was getting close though. it was getting close it was me. getting close and, I, and every time of all these starts i get angry tweets at me like at, saying that i'm Secretly rooting for the Red Sox because with you were the, the president mouth. of the Evaldi fan club. People, have, yeah, people I, don't realize was, back in 2015 when we were doing this podcast, <laughs> we started. Evaldi was a Yankee, and every yeah. week all Scott would talk about is Nathan Evaldi's 99 mile an hour fastball as he was rubbing his nipples. Yeah, hey man, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a stuff guy. I like I like it when stuff is actually good, not when people talk about their stuff and it's not good, but only when it's good. And uh, there's, he's just one of those guys that has, there was so much potential with, and he just couldn't put it together. And he wasn't even that bad with the Yankees. But the the fact is that he does every time he goes up against the Yankees, he pitches the gym. And I don't understand why the Yankees can't hit him. It doesn't even matter who's in the lineup. No. This is a totally different lineup. Right. Yeah. It's 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 frustrating to see. It's it's very frustrating to see at this point how they don't have, um, you know a good approach against Nathan Navaldi because they're going to see him a bunch more times and they can't just let him mow the, the Yankees lineup down. They got to get to him. And I think, so the, the Red Sox did a little lining up in the series. They, they put Chris Sale, who's supposed to be their best pitcher and Navaldi because they know Navaldi pitches well against the Yankees. So he's going to probably get many, many more starts whenever, whenever they uh, face him this year, like you said. All right, let's do what awesome thing did Aaron Judge do this week? It's a new segment we're going to start doing every Thursday. There's always something we can find, uh, something awesome that Judge did. It's not difficult. No. He stole second and went to third on a bad throw on Tuesday night. And it always shocks me how good of a base stealer he looks like, even though he's gigantic. And whenever he's sliding into the bases, all that's going through my mind is, oh, please don't turn an ankle. Oh, please don't get hurt. Don't pull a hamstring. But it, uh, he went to third, good base running. And then he did, unfortunately, follow it up with some bad base running. Where, What happened on that sack fly attempt? Did he leave too early? Did Nevin say go too early? Like, what, what happened there? It was a, uh, he was on third base with less than two outs. Medium deep fly ball to J.D. Martinez, who has a terrible arm. He was going to run, except he just left the base too early and had to go back. Yeah, I, you know, my thing is, is that it wasn't Aaron Judge's fault. It's never Aaron Judge's no. fault. So to me, to me, the logic behind anything that he does, you know, that's questionable doesn't matter because it was someone else's fault because he's, you know, he's an angel. He would never do anything bad or wrong or anything like that. And one of the other moments that that I'm looking at, um, and he didn't even really have to do much. It's when you had that that second and third moment, that second and third situation with um, with Paxton, and he's getting these medium, you know, shallow, medium it's, I wouldn't even, they're not shallow. They were medium fly balls. And, and Mookie Betts, I believe was on third, right? And he's not, not even trying to attempt. Uh, Judge doesn't even have to, the first throw doesn't even have to, you know, really show anything, just kind of, just kind of throws it in. And then the second one, he, you know, he throws a, a bullet to, to, uh, to home and just the threat, just the idea that that guy has the ball in his hand neutralizes the runner. And I absolutely love that. Yeah. Shout out to Beth Wellington on Twitter. She was tweeting me about, Hey, you guys have to talk about judges cannon for an arm, preventing a couple of runners from advancing. And that's true. 
his throws, the thing I love about his throws is they're just straight as an arrow, right? Yeah. You don't get the tail on or anything. It's over the top. He throws four-seam fastballs to the base, and it's always dead on. It's beautiful. No, it's beautiful. And that's why nobody, not only does he have a cannon, but it's an accurate cannon. So, um, you know, they're not trying to, they're not trying to toy with that. They're not trying to be on the highlight reel with Aaron Judge throwing you out and look stupid because it's expected. All right. It's time for the segment. What is wrong with Chad Green? I spoke with Rohan Arcot. He's a grad student at Hamilton. So last week we talked to Conrad, who's an undergrad student at Stanford. We're going up a level. We're getting our education. We're getting our degree as a podcast, as a listener base. We're getting our degree. Let's talk about what is going on with Chad Green. I'm happy to be bringing on Rohan Arcot. Uh, he's a writer at Bronx Pinstripes. This is the second week in a row we're bringing on a writer, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say another baseball nerd. Rohan, what's up? <laughs> hey, how's it going? Thank you guys for having me on. But yeah, definitely... Definitely classify myself in that baseball stats nerd like Conrad and a couple other guys. Um, yeah. I don't know about a class by yourself. You guys are growing. You're, you're taking over everything. <laughs> yeah, just like the last few guys you guys have brought on have all been sort of in that like stats realm uh, sort of thing. I think I wonder if some of it is, you know, just when we started watching baseballs, you know, in the past 10, 15 years or so was when and the post Moneyball era when all these advanced stats started coming out. And now you just see we have so much more access to it, whether it's through StatCast, Fangraphs, Baseball Reference, all that. It's just so much more easily accessible, I think. Let's talk about Chad Green. So that's why you're here. You wrote an article about uh, what is wrong with Chad Green. And I hope, you know, sort of like Conrad last week, he said, here's why Masahiro Tanaka has been so dominant. And then Tanaka goes out there and puts a stinker on the mound. I'm hoping you reverse jinx Chad Green here and he starts to turn back into 2017. I'll even take 2018 Chad Green. Yeah, well, that, something similar actually kind of happened last year. I wrote an article about Jonathan Holder. I'm like, why is he still on the team? And then he goes out and throws 20 straight yeah. uh, scoreless outings. So hopefully the reverse jinx is still in. And Chad Green, I, I almost think we're probably never going to see 2017 Chad Green again because that he was historically good. Oh, he was incredible that year. Like I was briefly looking through some of his numbers. I mean, he had a, a strikeout percentage of over 40%. That's just, that's just crazy. Like, uh, I was looking through some of the data on that and like an excellent strikeout rate is right around 27%. So he was well past that in 2017. And really, I think just um, the way the game's going now, you're seeing so many more guys who throw hard, have that like 95 plus high spin rate fastball that batters starting to just get used to it. So the guys like Chad Green, he was one of the first ones, but now you're seeing so many more of them that he's not as unique anymore. So batters are adjusting and learning how to hit that. Like you see teams like the Astros pretty much cheetah good with Garrett Cole last year, what they did, how he's throwing a lot more high forcing fastballs, increases spin rate, that type of thing. So if teams are starting to do that, I think you, we're clearly seeing the batters adjusting to it. I, I Probably. I think batters are adjusting just like anything. You know, Players adjust over time as more video and, and scouting reports are, are collected on Chad Green. But I think what we saw last year for 2018, he was still a very effective relief mm -hmm. pitcher still one of the top relief pitchers in baseball. I think that that is the real, probably the real Chad Green. Don't you agree? Definitely, yeah. I think 2017 was like when he just burst on the scene. There's always that like new shiny toy. People have to learn how to hit him while all that stuff's going on. Then last year we saw he was still great. Um, like, you know, the strikeout percentage went from like 41% into uh, like 37% or yeah, right around 30, 32% actually, which is still incredible. Like, it's still in the excellent category, but yeah, it's definitely a bit of regression, but I think just the normal natural regression that we expected to see. And 
Um, what's happening now, or at least in, you know, again, it's so early in the season, but we're seeing now is a huge amount of aggression that something might be up with that. Right. And I mean, first of all, let's just hope it's not injury because I don't think the Yankees could take any more injuries. But his strikeout percentage, what was it? It was it 16% on the season so far? Yeah, it's right around 16, 17%. And like, I mean, league average strikeout percentage is closer to 20%. So if a guy like Chad Green, who just two years ago had double the league average strikeout rate, is now below average, something's going on there. Right. And we, you had a great chart in your article about sort of his pitch mix. And it's kind of interesting. The chart is kind of uh, stunning. Like in 2018, he basically only threw fastballs. Yeah, he was over 80% fastball last season. He's a, that's his one good pitch. Like his slider, his splitter, what, any other offseason pitches he's messed around with the past few years, they're not good pitches by any means. Like they're not, he's not going to be getting like swooping slings and misses on them or getting strikeouts or anything on them. They're just more or less show me pitches. So last year he right. just went full all fastball. And this year he's starting to mix in the slider more, which he did back in 2017, and even a splitter, which I don't, yeah. I can't remember seeing him throw a splitter, but I guess he's got one. Yeah, so he actually started bringing it back last year. So I think in 2017 he didn't throw any splitters. He threw a few pre 2017, but then he, I think 2017 was around when they switched him into the bullpen. So it was just straight fastball, a couple sliders mixed in. Um, and then last year, I think as he was struggling a little bit uh, post All Star break or right around then. He started mixing in a few splitter-like change of pitches. And I think I wrote an article about it at the time. And it was just, okay, something to monitor. And then it really wasn't a big deal as the season went on. And now we're seeing he's still using it a little bit. Yeah, and I, I, Scott and I briefly talked about this on the last episode um, about Chad Green. I, I looked at his Brooks baseball card and I noticed that his fastball velocity is down about a mile an hour this year than versus mm-hmm. the last two years combined. Do you think that's also playing into the fact he's just not getting the swings and misses on the fastballs in the zone? Because that's another one of the major issues is his Z, <laughs> Z contact percentage, which Conrad educated us on last week. Yep. Uh, just a reminder to everybody in case you don't remember, that's your you know how many swings and misses you're getting on pitches in the strike zone. He's not getting swings and misses on pitches in the strike zone. Right, yeah, so a couple of things with that. First, with the fastball velocity, so it's down one mile an hour, we said like from 96 to 95, it's still super early in the year. Pitchers are, you know, warming up, getting used to pitching again. And like, it's still, the weather's in a warm. So I'm not concerned about the fastball velocity. Like, yeah, maybe it's having a, a little bit of an effect, but I wouldn't think one mile an hour going from 96 to 95 is that big a deal. And uh, his spin rate's still excellent. Like the past couple of years, he was in the 2,400 RPMs, which is incredible. I think league, league average is somewhere between 21 to 2,200. So this season, he's still right around there. So I don't think there's anything actually about the fastball itself um, that is wrong. I think its hitters are just more used to that and just seeing how overly reliant he is on it. They know what's coming. Right. Um, so, yeah, and you mentioned that Z contact percentage. So his Z contact percentage right now through eight games that he's been in this year is at 88%. So that means on pitches that he's throwing in the zone, the batters swing at, they're making contact on 88% of them. So that, that leaves so few pitches that are getting swung and missed on. Whereas in his other world leap, 2017 year, that number was around 72%, and the last year was around 79%. And just to give a bit of a ballpark on what's good and what's not good, that number league average is right around 84%. So he is at a league below league average in terms of Z contact percentage when that's his thing, is being a guy who is getting those swings and misses on his fastballs in the zone. Yeah, and it's not, I mean, it's the swings and misses on the fastball, but it's also guys are squaring it up. Like, I think of those, that home run, 
he gave up mm-hmm. on the rain game on Friday. The one out to left field. I forget who hit it for the White Sox. But that thing was an absolute rocket. That was like the was hardest. The one at Eloy's? It might have been, yeah. And it landed yeah. out in the 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 uh the over the bullpen, like the bar out in left center field. Like that's one of the hardest hit balls I've ever seen Chad Green give up. And you're just not used to seeing that. Like we've seen him give up a couple cheapies to the to the short porch, but usually not these massive four hundred twenty foot plus bombs. Yeah. Well the thing with Chad Green, um so he, when batters make contact with him, even when he's been great, they make hard contact. Uh, but it has gotten worse this year. So I, I was looking at some of his like exit velo numbers. So his exit velo has gone up from 89 miles per hour all the way up to about 93, 94 this year. So there definitely has been an increase in that batters are hitting the ball harder off him. And more importantly is, um, I don't know if you guys have talked about before, but barrel percentage, which is yep. basically how, you know, simple – Kind of to keep it simple, like the ball hits the good part of the bat. Um, there's like some data on like it's balls that are hit over a certain speed at a certain launch angle. Basically, if you make it, if you hit the ball and it counts as a barrel, it's going to be hit really hard and basically almost always going to be hit. Things like average over 667 or something. So Chad Green's barrel percentage during 2017 and 2018 was between like seven and 10 percent. This year, it's all the way up to 23 percent. That's yeah, that's like double, triple. He's going to get someone hurt on those there. barrels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's gotten a little little out of hand. Right I now. mean, basically everything we've like you've just said is bad. He's just been terrible, um, and mm-hmm. there's no way he's this bad. Like we saw him for no. two years. He's a better pitcher than this. Um, yeah, you know, I'm curious about his the the way they're using him because Girardi back in 2017 used him more of a multi inning guy, and if you remember, he would get at least a day, sometimes two days off in between appearances. Then he'd come back pitch another. Two, one plus inning, maybe two innings, and he'd be lights out. Last year, Boone used him more of a traditional one inning guy with fewer days off in between, and he wasn't as effective, but still very effective. You think the usage is playing into this? It's possible, yeah, because I remember last year when towards the end of the season he was talking about it, and he said himself that he prefers those multi inning, multiple rest days ways of pitching because he was still newly converted to being a real reliever. He used to be a starter yeah. for a number of years. So it's definitely possible that he um, still prefers those multi-inning outings and get a couple of days off to recover, get his arm right. So yeah, it is possible that usage is a part of it that they haven't figured out what's the right usage for him. And like right now, he's appeared in eight out of their 15 games, I think. So it seems like um, Boone is still using him in that one-inning type role right now with fewer days off. Yeah, and they, they it might be unavoidable at this point with Batances hurt and, right. and some other guys, you know, they don't have their full arsenal of starting pitchers. So it might be unavoidable. I mean, I think in an ideal scenario when everyone's healthy, Chad Green might be more of a two-inning guy. And in that case, he's a tremendous weapon. Um, just haven't seen it this year. And and it's they're going to need him, like I said, because of the problems that the, the bullpen has faced. He's been one of the biggest problems in the bullpen. You kind of concluded your article on how to how to fix him. So, like, what? How does it get better for Chad Green from here? Honestly, it seems like the way for him to get better is almost to keep doing what he's doing, but maybe work on those off-speed pitches a little more just to get them passable. Um, so, like his pitch mix right now, in terms of how often he's throwing his fastball, is right in line with those 2017 levels. It's gone down from that over 80% last year into about the 75%. So, I think he's recognized that he can't get by with just his fastball. As great as it is, he needs another pitch just to show people. And you've seen that with guys like Aroldis Chapman the past couple of years, that he started started to use his slider a lot more yeah. just to give hitters another look so they can't just gear up for the fastball. And if they see any spin, just ignore it. So I think just... 
And we've seen uh, with Chapman, we've seen his slider improve. I think when yeah. I think back to like 2016 when he first came to the Yankees before he got traded, I mean, his slider was much worse than it is now. I mean, it's still probably right. league average slider, I would guess, but at least it's he can get outs with it sometimes. Yeah, like you see him get uh, swing and strikes on it for strikeouts all the time now. And you wonder if Chad Green could do something similar. The other thing with this entire uh, stuff we're talking about, it's eight games into the season. Like right. we're 10% of the way through the season. There's so much noise and all the numbers and data and regression is going to happen that like we, this, all this could be kind of for nothing. But what, what is concerning is we've seen he, for various reasons, he's getting hit hard right now. And you hope that whatever subtle improvements may be changing the usage or him improving those off-speed pitches a little bit will uh, make the fastball do what it used to do. Yeah, I agree. And it's, of course, it's super early, even though uh, according to every Yankees fan on Twitter, it's, it's the season's over, but whatever. <laughs> Uh, it, that's, that's just how it goes when you live and die with every pitch, like, <laughs> like a lot of us do, but hopefully, like I said, you're the reverse jinx. And so everyone is going to be sending thank yous on Twitter to you for, for fixing Chad green by reverse jinxing them. Where can people get you on Twitter? Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at uh, Rohan Arcot 20. So it's my name, Rohan Arcot and then 20. And if you guys want to go check out that article, uh, it was posted. What's today? Tuesday. And it's called What's Wrong with Chad Green. Go check it out. I definitely think it's a, it's a great breakdown. Rohan, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on. It was only a matter of time, right? The injured, the injured list was piling up. It was, it, was, it was a mile long. And Greg Bird's name wasn't there. And it was only a matter of time before that changed. Yeah, plantar fasciitis. I tweeted that it's 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 appropriate that Greg Bird's Yankee career is now over with the same oh, you're slash calling latest. It. You're calling it over. Slash latest injury, the same as Jacoby Ellsbury. It's uh you know Jacoby Ellsbury also involved in the transaction, which yes. it's on paper now too. So um, getting moved to the sixty day DL. IL, sorry, and and now Ellsbury's still on the DL. He should be grandfathered into the disabled. It is a DL. Yeah, you're right. He is. Look, Bird is now on the uh, the wrong side of every every list you could possibly look at. He's he's now also got to deal with this plantar fascia, a, a torn plantar. It's, it's like it's, 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 it's laughable. It's, it's the, what else did you do? Your foot. That's your foot. You have it's a his torn, other foot though. So your other foot. That's even worse. That's a, it's a different. So now foot. we have both feet that are bad. Both feet. The disease, whatever he has, the Swiss cheese bones just jumped over to the other foot. Yeah, and now the bones are affecting the uh, the ligaments and such. So, you know, I at some point, when do you say like, where's the conditioning? There's a conditioning issue with this man. At some point, you gotta like, you know, maybe having an approach in the off season of you know going down and fishing and not really eat. You just kind of eat what you eat and you put on the pounds naturally and you know pick things up and put them down. Maybe a little bit more of a regimented plan would have made your put your body in a better position to uh, with withstand a season because it really hasn't worked well. I don't um, really care. This is this should be the last chance for Greg Bird. And if he if he was if he got injured but he's hitting 300 right now with a few bombs, then maybe it's a different story. You say oh, this really sucks. It always sucks with Greg Bird, but we're going to give him another chance when he comes back. He's hitting 171 with one home run. He looks terrible in the field. What like what are we doing with Greg Bird at this point? Does anyone still think he can be a good baseball player? No, I mean it's it's bad when you're when you're looking at some of his at bats too. You're looking at a guy who is guessing. He can't catch up with the fastball, and you know on Friday one of the things I noticed so 
glaringly was was that you know when anybody when the pitchers would would throw something off speed the the uh, the amount of time he was in front of that ball like i mean they were like boomerangs getting getting hit into uh into the into the right field net into the the sideline net because he was so far out in front of the ball you could tell that he was so either fooled by the pitch or just completely guessing to hit to be able to catch up to that fastball that he had absolutely no chance. So whether it was a, an off-speed pitch or a fastball, he was either not going to catch up to it or it was going to be a boomerang into the dugout or above the dugout. It was it, he looked like a, a you know a guy that didn't belong there. It's and he's the the Nick Johnson comparisons were being thrown around again, and I'm here to say that is unfair to the Iron Horse Nick Johnson because that is what he looks like compared to Greg Bird. Greg Bird wishes he could play as much as Nick Johnson did. Nick Johnson played ten seasons; he actually completed seasons. Yes, I know he had a bunch of injuries in between, but the dude when he was on the field was actually a good player. He had a three ninety nine on base percentage. He had a five WAR season. Great. Yeah, but he also but he also didn't. Live, he didn't have these expectations and live up to them when he was with the Yankees. He went to other teams and had some success as well. But um, when he was with the Yankees, he was the next Mattingly. Everybody was this. This this is what he was dubbed as. Like that's whether it was fair or not. They brought him up in in with all of these these things in our brains that Nick Johnson was going to be the next long term first baseman. It's it's a fair comparison to that sense where we all thought Greg Bird was the next first baseman of the the future for the New York. Fine, Yankees. if that's the way you're going to use it, then I, then I guess I agree. And and but. based on the injuries, you know, they, they were both guys that were hit by the injury bug, um, and just never. But could even get Nick to Johnson it. played okay for the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, he just Greg Bird has not. He had, was a different player. Greg Bird ha- had a, a a good rookie season to finish in 2015. He missed the entire 2016 season. He had a home run off Andrew Miller in the playoffs in 2017. He sucked all of last year and was injured all of last year. And now he sucked so far this year and he's injured again. You forgot about the whole section when you dubbed him as the MVP of the New York Yankees and screwed his career and and just just cursed him into what I forgot about oblivion. What I forgot about is that he is the world's best baseball player in March. Yes, for one year, (laughs) for two years. For, so, like, the guy just, look, I, I don't think he's been healthy this entire, I, I think that he's just, well, his body is not the same. I think the shoulder labrum injury was on. a problem. Move on. Yeah, they have to move on. Like, this is it. We have, now we have a 26-year-old left-handed hitter that's um, smarter. Out four and, to six weeks in a walking boot. Yeah, I'm talking about Mike Ford. Oh. <laughs> we, we, have, we have a replacement bird. Okay. His yeah. name is Mike Ford. Mike Ford is another four-letter last name. Uh, Mike Ford, yeah, they promoted him. He was raking at AAA, 410, 467, 897, and 39 at, uh, at-bats this year. He has a uh, 271, 372, 442 slash line and 561 career minor league games. So he's been in the minors a long time. It's taken him a long time to get to this point. He's a Princeton guy. He's a nerd. Cashman loves him because he's a nerd. But he doesn't look like a nerd. If you look at him, him and... Um, Joe Harvey, they look the same. I had someone tweet me that they look like brothers who run a pizza joint in Brooklyn. And it's so true. These dudes, I'm behind these dudes. Hey, Mike Ford's the type of guy that, that had to uh, grind it up, you know, play to Princeton, not, not, like a, not a big prospect by any means, and just played his, played his ass off in the minor leagues through the system and is now being rewarded for that. Um, he was not anointed like the guy that just went on the IL. He is the guy that has grinded and worked his ass off and, um, you know, and played well at the levels that he needed to to earn this. So uh, I'm excited to see him there. I'm excited to, uh, to to watch him play because, you know, this is a guy that that 
that literally earned the pinstripes. And, you know, I'm pretty sure he grew up as a Yankees fan. So that's cool. And it's just a guy that you root for. You want to see do well. And, um, and I'm just, I, I'm done with bird, man. I'm fed up. I don't see how he can make it back here. Like, what are we doing? Like you said, like nothing, if he was supposedly healthy, he's still hitting a buck 71. And if you look back at some extended time and look at the numbers, the guy is kind of what it is. Like he just hasn't played well at the major league level. I think the Yankees still think he has the talent. He probably has the talent to be a good hitter at the majors. I just don't know if it's ever going to happen with the Yankees. And that sucks because we've seen it happen before. A guy gets... I don't don't necessarily know if the Yankees think... I think the Yankees understand that there was ability at one point, but that the injuries have just taken a toll on his body too much. Maybe the injuries have have just ended his career. But would it shock you if he misses most of the rest of this year? The Yankees release him... He signs on with some crappy team on the West Coast or the Colorado Rockies, his hometown, and has a solid three, four year run. It wouldn't shock me. I don't. It would. I mean, I guess it wouldn't shock me. But everything I'm seeing, I just I don't see this guy as a long term major league. He just can't stay healthy either. I mean, that's that's the problem. You would you would I would be more surprised to uh, to hear that he was healthy for a significant amount of time than than I would be for you know, to see like what he actually did in the majors in a short stint. Like I, I think maybe there, he could flash, but he's going to be hurt and his body can't handle it. And Ford's going to be the backup first baseman at this point. I'm, I'm yeah. sure he'll get a start or two this weekend against the Royals. Voight's just been okay. He's hitting 213 with four home runs. It seems like he's getting a little bit better at the plate. I think he was, um, I don't know. I saw early in the season, it's just like he was trying to hit the ball 5,000 feet every time. Yeah, I think he's tailored his approach a little bit. We, he's starting to go the other way. We saw that, you know, after after the first week, we saw him trying to go the other way more often, and he was getting some base knocks. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. You know what I mean? I, it's still it, the funny thing is, is when we're looking at first base, Voit, you know, obviously came out of nowhere last year and and was the guy that we all kind of you know expected Bird to be, just a a, a solid first baseman who. This guy has energy. He he you know he has captivated the fan base, um, but it's still first base is still a, pro- a problem. It's been a problem since Mark Teixeira got hurt. Yeah, it's crazy. Four four going on five years. The Yankees need to finish the home stand strong. Four against the Royals, the crappy Royals. If you look at their roster, you're not going to recognize more than half the names. They got their best player Sal Perez down. He got hurt uh, early in the season or early in uh, spring training, was it? Um, but yeah. I, I was looking on their, their baseball reference page and I noticed Alex Gordon is having a good season, which kind of, you know, was jarring. He's batting 345 with a 600 slugging percentage. I mean, that's a guy with some natural ability right there. Alex Gordon, uh, who, who decided to stay with the Royals. I mean, that's a, that's he's a, he's a Kansas city hometown guy. They love him there and he's probably going to be a Royal forever. So, um, but yeah, the rest of the guys, there's, there's some, there's some, it's, this is not the same team that won the world series a few years no, back. Oh, far from by far. Very different far from it. Yeah. The Yankees will go with Herman, Sabathia, Tanaka, and Paxton and Kansas city. As of now, have only announced two starters, Homer Bailey, Jacob Junis, TBD, TBD. Um, I heard those guys have uh, nasty stuff, but might Junis even- is a guy that Junis is a guy that could come in and had some success last year too. That was, um, that was one of those guys I was looking at when we were doing our offseason plans for as, as like a trade target to yeah. see if they were would give him up. But he's one of those guys that's got some ability for sure. Might get some rain, rain delays, some some postponements this weekend. It's supposed to be pretty crummy weather on Friday and Saturday. Maybe a doubleheader, who knows? But all I know is you finish the homestand with three out of four against 
Kansas City before you go west, and then we're starting to feel good. Yeah, no, this is they got to take advantage of this now. Now coming off of a Boston uh, two-game sweep, and Herman, who's been pitching as well as anybody in the rotation, and even after uh, you know he comes in for CC on Saturday, pitched well. I mean, he's been showing very, very well. So you expect. Uh, him to come in and and pitch well against the Royals and put up some um, some put up some good innings and then and then from there you know CC who obviously pitched really well on Saturday you're looking for a bounce back from Tanaka and then a follow up performance from Paxton I got the narratives for every single one of these guys <laughs> to win the game we're we're gonna go in with a uh, some must win mentality backs against the wall and you know look for that look for that four game sweep against Kansas City three of four. Ooh. You know, I'd take the, I'd take that's a that's a hell of a home. You take three out of four when you started the homestand, losing two out of three against the White Sox. Then you then yeah. you turn it around against the Red Sox and Royals. I think that's what that should be. That should be very satisfying if you're a Yankees fan. No doubt about it. But I, I do think weather's going to become a concern this weekend. It looks like all right because then if they loose. have a doubleheader one of these days, it's always hard to sweep the doubleheader. Yes, yes, it is, John. <laughs> <laughs> Any more baseball cliches before we end this episode? No, I think we got as many in as we could. All right. Next episode will be out on Monday. Reminder to submit mailbag questions at bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. And you can tweet us at Yankees Podcast. Light up the voicemail line, 646-480-0342. We will talk to you Monday. Happy Easter. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.